Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No America. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaign. Oh, wait. Unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. We're still in shutdown mode here in the nation's capital, unfortunately, as the junk science continues to keep millions of Americans unemployed, out of work, and our society ripped apart. Uh, but I guess that's last week's news. Uh, the big news this week, I'll be talking about, obviously, the the rioting in Minneapolis and that uh, over that police-related death and uh, now accused murderer there in uh, Minneapolis. The police officer has been arrested. Uh, but uh, also, Twitter has now started censoring President Trump not only on law and order issues, but on the issue of election integrity, which is something that is really outrageous, especially since the censoring is based on fake news and fake information. Plus, we've got new information on a new court ruling. That's a great court ruling in Maryland that will restrict uh, abusive spending of taxpayer money to help illegal aliens to, uh, and uh, in violation of the law. So a big decision there. And uh, I got an update on the Clinton email issue. There's a big court argument coming up next week, and I'll give you the latest on that and what to look for. So a lot going on this week, and as always, just because it's Friday, it doesn't mean things slow down here in Washington, D.C. We've had these horrible, horrible riots going on in Minneapolis. The lawlessness has been terrible, uh, and it's in reaction, allegedly, to uh, the um, uh, killing of Mr. George Floyd, who uh, died in police custody after uh, this vid awful video emerged of a police officer uh, basically sitting there with his knee on his neck as the uh, Mr. Floyd was complaining he couldn't breathe. The officer uh, has since been arrested, is being charged with, I think, uh, third-degree third degree murder and manslaughter. Uh, so we'll see how that case pans out. The, the feds are looking into it as well, seeing if there were federal civil rights charges that can also be brought against the officers involved. Uh, whether the officers are guilty of crimes or not, still an open question in the sense that we've only seen a, a portion of the video, which may or may not describe uh, fully what went on there. Uh, so this is why it's important that we go convict someone before all the evidence is in, especially on uh, the crimes involving the police like this. Uh, where uh, there is such racial tension associated with it because it was a seemingly black on uh, white cops, uh, although there were, I think, two cops of color involved in the case, uh, on, on the, uh, and the victim, of course, is black. So what's the reaction of the radical left uh, to suggest that the rioting that took place in Minneapolis, including now the burning down of a police precinct, is uh, a perfectly reasonable reaction to the misconduct that the video caught. Do you think it's perfectly reasonable for rioters to go and loot cities, burn down homes, burn down businesses, 
put people live, put people's lives in jeopardy. When they're concerned about the life of this poor man, and they're so concerned that they're going to destroy his community. Now, uh, looking at the video of the rioters, it doesn't look like it's the community rioting. It looks like your usual mix of leftist agitators and outsiders from the community. And, uh, but riots occur, and I think we, it's important to remember, riots occur when political officials decide to not meet the rioters with police and law enforcement force. Where the police go out, and there's a technique. I'm not a police officer. I don't presume to be an expert in riot control. But we all know enough to know that there is a uh, there are techniques for controlling rioting. You target the leadership, folks running the operation. You can tell in riots who's who are really causing the trouble, and others are following, even if they are organic, as is being alleged here. So this is, again, a, for, a terrible situation for the country because we had this terrible video emerge and racial agitators like Barack Obama are suggesting it means that the entire country is racist, that the, even the, the, the altercation was race-based. There's, there's no evidence of that yet, other than the colors of the, the, the respective colors of the victim and alleged perps. So you've got this racial incitement. You have the mayor of Minneapolis, Mayor Frey, basically say the rioting is the result of 400 years of oppression. I mean, that's just incitement. It's just incitement. And so it's no surprise that the same day that the mayor is saying things like that, rioters burn down a police precinct. Of course, the police were told to retreat. The National Guard wasn't called until too late. So all this damage to property and the rule of law could have been averted by strong law enforcement action and decision-making by the state and local officials. And that didn't happen. And so what happens is the president steps in, he sends out a tweet that says the following uh, in part, uh, that these thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walz and told him the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, any difficulty, and we will assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. So Twitter has suppressed that tweet. Left it up, but suppressed it. So if I want to, and here's the tweet, I'm going to try to retweet it. Now, if I retweet it, it's kind of blocked with this phrase, the tweet violates, this tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public interest for the tweet to remain accessible. How does this tweet glorify violence? Now, the president's opponents, and not all of them are his opponents, but the president's, some read it to say that the president saying that the looters should be shot. I don't read it that way. 
I, I read it initially because, you know, I did read it last night and I thought, well, he's right. If the looting starts, the shooting starts, meaning shootings by the looters and rioters are closely connected. And of course, the reports out of, Cal out of Minneapolis are this crazed gunfire going on associated with this looting. That's the way I read it. Well, either way, it's a communication from the President of the United States, and Twitter suppressed it. And prior to that, they've targeted Trump, by the way. Twitter is now targeting Trump with censorship. No other political leader is being targeted like Trump with censorship, but Trump is. They attached a fact check link to President Trump's tweets related to election fraud, voter fraud, the menace to free elections caused by uncontrolled and out of control and unlawful mail-in ballots, as we've talked about here. And the fact check was fake. As I say, I should, I wish I, I guess I gotta, I gotta start pulling up all my tweets so I can tell you about them. I mean, Twitter is violating their own rules in putting out false information about election fraud to counter the alleged false information from the president of the United States. They put their thumb on the scales in, in favor of an illegal policy change in California that they say is quote, only limited to register voters, people eligible to vote. Well, that's the whole point of the concern that the president has raised that they will have People get vote, they get ballots in California who aren't obligated, who aren't supposed to be getting them. Meaning people who moved away or people who are dead because they're still on the rolls and are registered, quote, to vote. Now, the, let me take a step back. Governor Newsom in California has decided on his own to require all counties in California, contrary to California law and the constitution because the constitution only gives this power to the legislature. He's requiring all counties to send in ballots, to send ballots to all registered voters. So that means there'll be 20 million ballots flooding the system. Now, as Judicial Watch has already shown in prior litigation and our prior studies, California voting rolls are a mess. Los Angeles County Settle the lawsuit with Judicial Watch, 1.6 million names they're in the process of removing, up to 1.6 million names. We did a study over in 2019 in 14 counties. I want to read, I want to be specific here because I don't want to get banned by Twitter because I'm saying something that their leftist allies don't like. Judicial Watch data, this is on my Twitter feed, it's at Tom Fitton. Judicial Watch uh, found in 2019, the data shows at least 1.1 million extra names on voter rolls in 14 counties in California. LA County, alone had 640,000 extra names and is in process of removing up to 1.6 million 
inactive names from roles as a result of a lawsuit settlement with Judicial Watch. So when I mean extra names, I mean these are names above and beyond the number of people in the voting age population. So I think the stat we found in Los Angeles is that it was 110% of the voting age population was registered to vote. That means they have 10% more people on the rolls who are living there and eligible to vote. And so in Los Angeles, they've got 640,000 of those quote extra names on the rolls, at least as of 2019. Now those numbers change over time, depending on who's moving in and out and the number of eligible voters or eligible citizens. But the point being, those are indications that the voting lists in California are dirty. And when you send ballots to people who've moved away or shouldn't be there, that's where you get the opportunity for voter fraud. That's where you get the opportunities for rigging elections. And when you tie that all together with ballot harvesting, it's really can potentially lead to chaos on election day. I talked to a reporter the other day from a left-leaning publication, and the point of his story is that people on both the left and the right are concerned, and I think I'm fairly characterizing the piece because the, the right isn't trying to change the system, the left is trying to change the system. And they're concerned that these last minute changes to the system both illegal and otherwise, are going to cause chaos on election day. Why is that? Because people are used to voting in person. Now, I understand absentee ballots are widely available. They already are widely available. Many, many people vote by mail. But as the Carter-Baker Commission found, I think it was in 2005, that voting by mail and the absentee ballot process is particularly susceptible to voter fraud. Just think about it. You go to vote in person. You're doing it under the guy. Usually you've got a government official there and you've got members of both parties often observing to make sure nothing weird's going on. So not only are you protected in the confidentiality of having your vote placed, with the protection of law and law enforcement and all the laws that apply to the protection of ballot places, excuse me, polling places. It's the best way to have your vote count, counted. Yes, you can vote by many, 30, I think it's 33 states. Don't require any excuse to get an absentee ballot. So I tell you what, if you're nervous about voting on election day, figure out what your state's laws are and request an absentee ballot if the law allows it. Some states, the law won't allow it. Your being afraid to get sick is probably not an emergency reason to get an absentee ballot in many states. States may change the law through their legislature, which is what the Constitution requires. And I, and I don't think that's a good idea either as well. We should be encouraging people to vote in person. And when you're mailing in ballots as the left wants to do now in millions and millions of extra cases, 
You can't be sure your vote's going to be counted. You can't be sure that even the elections will be fully understood as to who won or lost for days, if not weeks. I think in Los Angeles County, we pointed out in our lawsuit to stop Newsom's illegal scheme, the lawsuit we filed last week, Los Angeles County was a disaster. They had a vote by mail plan. Under the law, it was lawful, but it didn't work because they didn't have the systems in place. So we're now asking, you know, we're, we're at the 30 yard line, practically speaking, before election day, as far as actually we're at the 10 year, 10 yard line. Because if you're an election official, you need to have everything ready. Beginning probably next month in the least. It's too late. So the left is trying to introduce this chaos factor into our elections by flooding the systems with, with bail ballots. Or in the case of Minnesota, uh, Michigan, I think it's uh, applica- uh, uh, absentee ballot applications. California, it's just radical. I mean, what, what Mr. Uh, Governor Newsom is proposing to do, just mailing ballots, flooding the system. Now, the Republican National Committee has since also sued to try to stop that scheme in California. So what's happened now is that Judicial Watch's lawsuit on behalf of voters who are fearful that their votes won't get counted or thrown out under this illegal scheme. I mean, the irony is that the mail ballots may not be valid in the end. That's why it's got to be stopped. So people's votes aren't unnecessarily lost and thrown out because the ballots are invalid. So the two cases are now together before one federal court judge. So we'll see how that goes. But Twitter is trying to quote fact check this by essentially using leftist talking points and suppressing and labeling and mislabeling the president's informational tweets on this informa- on this material. Let me talk about fact-checking, because this is what the leftists have been doing in social media to try to suppress conservatives. Fact-checking is a vehicle for the left to suppress conservative views, points, and authority that they don't like. It's exactly what Judicial, Judicial Watch has suffered from this fake fact-checking assault repeatedly over the years. We do a story, for instance, and they say, well, where, you know, who are your sources? And we say, you can't have your source. You can't have our sources. And so what do they say? It's false because we can't fact check their story, which is sort of garbage. And no other journalist entity is supposed to give up their sources in order to get, avoid being mislabeled as false. If you got different facts or you want to challenge facts, challenge them. It's a free society, or at least it ought to be. But the left is using, and their media allies who pretend to be in favor of the First Amendment, they're really not. They're using these fact checkers, which are largely almost universally left-leaning media organizations and fronts, 
to target conservatives. And now they're targeting Donald Trump. Twitter is using CNN and the Washington Post, which are anti-Trump advocacy groups. Notice I didn't call them journalists. They sometimes do journalism, that's for sure. But they're advocacy groups. So in response to this growing problem, I mean, I know I was shadow banned on Twitter. How does shadow banning mean? It means that if you type in, let's say my name, there's no suggestion. There was at one point, no suggestion. You know, there's an autofill. If you do a search, my name wasn't popping up. I'm a public figure, I'm a prominent person, at least within certain circles. None of us are as important as we think, aren't we? But certainly if you type in the word Tom Fitton, you think my name would pop up and it wasn't. And so were other conservatives, including members of Congress. This was happening a few years ago. This is 2018, I think it happened. President of the United States is tweeting out my material and I'm being shadow banned. Meaning if you went to look for me, you couldn't find me on Twitter. The good news is it doesn't work. And this is why the media is so desperate to shut us down. This week, my account, my personal account, has passed 1 million followers. I have a million followers on Twitter. I want to thank you for those of you who are following me. That must drive the left crazy though, right? Because that's a wonderful platform. It's a wonderful platform we have on the internet, through Facebook, through Twitter. I mean, I know we don't like the suppression of conservative voices on those platforms, but they're where the people are. And we're now able to educate millions and millions of people, not only here in the United States, but worldwide, that we otherwise would never have been able to do prior to the internet age. Judicial Watch has 1.6 million followers on Twitter. On Facebook, I think we have 6 million followers on Facebook. It's incredible. So sometimes if we send out tweets or send out Facebook posts, more people will see our material than people who are watching the news that day on some of the major networks. That's why they want to shut us down. They don't want to shut us down because we're losing. They want to shut us down because we're winning. If we weren't successful, they wouldn't care. I mean, that's the irony of this. And I know it's kind of one way to, I know you sometimes think I'm Debbie Downer here. But when I talk about the assault on the Republic, when I talk about the assault on President Trump, when I talk about the assault on conservatives online, the attack on our free speech rights. You have to understand, the left is always happy to follow the rules when they're winning, when they're winning. But when they're losing, those rules go out the window. Rioting, 
threats of violence, intimidation, coups, illegal spying, censorship of conservative voices online. That's liberal tyranny that's under, thinks it's losing. President Trump has pushed back. He sent, signed an executive order that laid out these issues, and I encourage you to go and review the executive order because I think it's on point. I'm not quite sure what the legal consequences are going to be. There's something called Section 230 of the federal law. And uh, this law essentially provides uh, liability protection for platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and other big media companies from being held liable for what's be appearing on their website or their platforms. So if, uh, and it means that they're able also to sometimes take down material that is really can't, you know, that everyone agrees can be taken down, something that's violent or something targeting children, pornographic material, things like that. But they're not liable for, you know, Tom Fitton going up there and saying, uh, 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 Barack Obama is the worst president in the history of the world. They're, quote, not the publisher. They're just the bulletin board. Well, the, the president has pointed out in this executive order that doesn't really hold water anymore, that analysis. If you start censoring and suppressing political speech, and putting your thumb on the scales in favor of political arguments. You are essentially becoming a publisher. You're saying, no, we get to decide what speech goes up here beyond the speech that really isn't speech, promoting violence and pornography and things like that. That's not speech. That's not protected speech, at least. But the sort of protected speech the president engages in, that I engage in, that you, if you're an activist online or just a regular citizen, posts their vote, posts their point of view from time to time. When they suppress you, that's not someone acting as the neutral provider of, quote, a bulletin board. That's a publisher. They're acting like a newspaper. They're acting like any other company that has final say as to what appears on their platform. Now, does that mean the government can, quote, regulate them in an improper way? No. But it does mean that they can be held accountable for the decision-making they engage in. And when they say they're doing things neutrally, and it's, it's, the president's pointing out that they're being deceptive when they do that, and that should be investigated as well. I think there's a legal argument, ultimately. Some, some public spaces like airports and malls have been sometimes for purposes of speech been treated as quasi-public spaces in the sense that they can't restrict speech in a way that another private property owner can. Because of the, you know, the public square nature of a mall or an airport or a place like that. Now that hasn't been applied yet, I think it's been rejected specifically on some of these internet platforms, but I think that's going to change. 
Twitter is now anti-Trump and is now promoting an unlawful scheme by the governor of California to mail ballots to people and pretending and is and is and is falsifying information about the way that law is going to work or that 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 scheme is going to work. So major major issue for free speech and censorship. You know, and I pointed out before how YouTube takes down a video of ours. And I think the same is ruled the rule the same rule is for Facebook that mentioned the name of the alleged whistleblower. I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want this video to get taken down. Twitter didn't do it. But the position of YouTube and Facebook is that that whistleblower's name can't be mentioned. The, you remember the whistle, the whistleblower who conspired with President, who supposedly conspired with Adam Schiff on the Ukraine call? Can't mention his name. I'll get tweeted. I'll, I'll get uh, censored. So. Uh, Our republic remains under attack. I just don't think it's under attack from the government. It's under attack from the private sector. In the case of the whistleblower, they're doing the back, they're doing the dirty work for people like Schiff. So, you know, we had a big case come. We had a big document come out last week. I want to talk to you about it again. It's called the electronic communication. It was the it was the basis for this the basis for the um, spy operation on President Trump. The Obama gang uses quote electronic communication to open up the unprecedented spy operation against President Trump, or then candidate Trump. It's written by Peter Strzok, and it showed they had no good faith basis to investigate. Trump. Now we released it last week. The major media, of course, is ignoring it because it they protect Trump. I mean, excuse me, they protect Obama. They protect the whole Obama Clinton gang that spied on Trump. Uh, there was a story, though, an op-ed written in the Hill that I wanted to call your attention to because it was written by someone who used to approve this sort of activity for a living. He is a former intelligence official in, this, in the, um, I just clicked past the article. He's a former intelligence official in the FBI. So he was a senior intelligence official in the FBI. The specific title is, he was a former assistant director of intelligence for the FBI. And he reviewed this document. And of course, as a, someone who knew, who knows how this material, how these investigations begin, he has a special expertise to bring to bear here that I think is worth sharing with you. Last week, I keep on. Last week, the FBI document that started the Trump-Russia collusion fiasco was publicly released. It hasn't received a lot of attention, but it should because not too long from now, this document will likely be blown up and placed on an easel as Exhibit A in a federal courtroom. The prosecutor, U.S. Attorney John Durham, will rightly point out the document has spawned three years of political misery, fails to articulate a single justifiable 
reason for starting a crossfire hurricane investigation. He says it looks like it was written by someone who has no experience as an FBI agent, Peter Strzok. Keep in mind that if FBI cannot investigate anyone, especially a US citizen or entity, without first creating a document that lists the reasonable suspicious factors that would legally justify the investigation. And this is interesting. First, the document is oddly constructed. In a normal legitimate FBI document, or electronic communication or EC, there would be a to and a from line. The Crossfire Hurricane EC only has a from line. It is from a part of an FBI's counter, it is from a part of the FBI's counterintelligence division whose contact is listed as Peter Strzok. The EC was drafted also by Peter Strzok. And finally, it was approved by Peter Strzok. Essentially, it's a document created by Peter Strzok, approved by Peter Strzok, and sent from Peter Strzok to Peter Strzok. On that basis alone, the document is an absurdity, violative of all FBI protocols, and therefore invalid on its face. An agent cannot approve his or her own case, and therefore, uh, that would be a mockery of the oversight designed to protect Americans. Yet for this document, Strzok was both the picture catcher and umpire. And then the author, whose name is, uh, forgive me, Kevin Brock, goes on to talk about the kind of third-hand nebulous reporting in this document. Struck then concludes the document by moving the goalposts. He writes that Crossfire Hurricane is being open to determine if unspecified individuals associated with the Trump campaign are winning or and or coordinating activities also unspecified with the government of Russia. He doesn't even mention Papadopoulos, who supposedly was the reason they started looking at this to begin with. There's a weak attempt to allege some kind of cooperation with Russians by unknown individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign, again, with no supporting facts listed. What this FBI document clearly establishes is that Crossfire Hurricane was an illicit made-up investigation lacking a shred of justified predication. Sprung from the mind of someone who despised Donald Trump and then blessed by inexperienced leadership at the highest levels who harbored their own well-established biases. So he hopes that it will be displayed in the federal courtroom soon. You know what my suspicions are about that. But it highlights that the founding document of the spying on President Trump is fake. It's a fraudulent document. You have a senior former FBI agent who needs to prove this stuff for a living, say it is. It's absurd. And it highlights how the so-called IGs really can't do their jobs even when they get out some key information. Well, what's happening there is that because the uh, IG said that there was a lawful predicate to reopen the, to open this investigation, they found no reason to think that they hadn't done anything by the book there. And you may recall that Durham and Barr, in an unusual statement, suggested that that 
they disagree with that. Well, you can see why they disagree with that. This EC, this electronic communication is garbage. I mean, frankly, anyone who approved this EC should be subject to criminal investigation. And that group of people would be limited. Struck and his immediate supervisors all the way up the chain. McCabe, Comey, people like that. So, I, I, you know, Judicial Watch got this out through a lawsuit. It shows, demonstrates really a criminal conspiracy against the president, or the, in this case, President, uh, the candidate Trump. Of course, they continued. This was what led to Flynn getting prosecuted. This is what got Flynn prosecuted. This is how it all started. I think it probably started unofficially earlier, but this is the document they all point to. Say, oh, no, this is where it all began. This is as fake as the FISA warrants. This is as fake and as criminal as the FISA warrants. So some good news. I'm going to move quickly here. Uh, you recall that we sued Maryland's Montgomery County, which is a populous county here outside of Washington, D.C. I'll describe it again. Here's Washington. Let's say Washington's like a, a triangle like that. Montgomery County's right at the border there, right at the border. So it's the, kind of the bedroom community for Washington, D.C., super populated. And they had a scheme where they were giving money under the guise of emergency coronavirus uh, uh, payments to illegal aliens. And a federal law requires that if you're going to do that type of benefit for an illegal alien, the legislature has to approve it. So in this case, the county did it on his own without the approval of the legislature. So we sued and it got up to the federal court and the federal court judge just ruled on our motion for temporary restraining order. We didn't get the motion for temporary restraining order, but it's, we still won because the court found that we were right on the law and likely to succeed on the merits, meaning this was an unlawful, these were unlawful payments to illegal aliens. The court found, well, uh, he didn't want to issue the TRO because the, he thought there was a public interest in the people getting the money. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it doesn't really matter in the end because it, at the end, he said that we're likely to win on the merits and, and, he told the, the county he, they need to at least set aside at least 25% of the money they haven't spent yet on this program so that we're still able to litigate this issue in court. Because the problem is if they spend all the money, there's no more case. This is a taxpayer lawsuit. We are representing taxpayers in Montgomery County. You don't want their money spent illegally like this. So the court has essentially said Judicial Watch is right. The county can't do everything it wanted to do, rejected most of the county's arguments here. And now we get to litigate it on the merits and we will stop at least, it looks like we have stopped for sure, part of the money from going out. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we win in the long term here. The court indicated that we were right. So I think we will win. We will win. Because this issue isn't going away. Coronavirus isn't going away. The left is going to use this and other reasons to give emergency treat, uh, 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 money to illegal aliens, contrary to law. 
And so we need to remind these governments they can't break the law to achieve a political result like that. And so now we have a federal court supporting that point of view. So that's great. We have a lawsuit in California that makes similar allegations that's on appeal. So we'll see how that works out. But it's again, Judicial Watch doing the basic heavy lifting for the rule of law. The coronavirus is a crisis, or actually it was a crisis. In my view, the crisis now is a rule of law crisis. It's a crisis for our society with these un unprecedented shutdowns that are still continuing despite no scientific justification for them. And you see both with the elections and in this case, in, uh, the illegal alien problem, they are abusing the law, trying to violate the law to achieve a political result using coronavirus as a cover. And we don't want anyone to be a victim of the coronavirus, but we don't want our constitution especially to be a victim of the coronavirus. So I also promised you uh, an update on Hillary Clinton. Now, as you recall, Judicial Watch was granted discovery by Judge Royce Lambert that has now included the right to question Hillary Clinton under oath. Under oath. And her top aide, Cheryl Mills. Now, after that order came down, Hillary Clinton filed what is known as a writ of mandamus, which is an emergency motion. In this case, she used to overturn an illegal court order, or so she, she alleged. And she said she was too important to testify under oath, but the case was, quote, mooted out, uh, mooted out meaning that there's nothing more to be found or understood about the scandal. So the, uh, the Justice Department and the State Department who had defended her up until then said that's, that's, not, that's not appropriate, this writ of mandamus. The irony in this case is that Cheryl Mills's lawyer is represented by Beth Wilkinson, who is also the lawyer now for Judge Sullivan in that what I call in his judicial adventurism against General Flynn. Small world, isn't it? So uh, the Justice Department opposed Hillary Clinton's mandamus action in written papers, and they tried to avoid uh, making, uh, having to present any oral argument about it in court. And the appellate court said, no, you gotta, you gotta tell us what you think on these specific issues. And they're particularly interested if it's been mooted out so that she shouldn't have to be questioned. I, know, I, I just can't believe that would be a, a reasonable basis for knocking her out, uh, knocking her testimony out, but we'll see. You know, in my experience, Hillary Clinton gets different treatment from the courts and the justice system than the rest of us do. So, uh, but the hearing is scheduled for June 2nd and uh, it's before a three judge panel in the, here in the District of Columbia, the DC circuit. Uh, it will be a telephonic hearing, so uh, you can't go to the courthouse, but you might be able to listen to it online. And so as the time gets closer on Monday and Tuesday, you can look it up online, see if you can hear it online or if there's an audio recording available after the fact, we'll certainly make it available to you. So Hillary Clinton, is going to be against Judicial Watch in court on Tuesday, June 2nd. And uh, again, Justice Department wanted to be a wall on this case, wouldn't be there standing with us for the rule of law. And thankfully the court said, you gotta show up. I tell you, if, if that doesn't give you a kind of a glimpse into the way the deep state operates and why I am uh, so disappointed with the Justice Department's failures, both on justice for Hillary Clinton Justice over Obamagate and all sorts of other things. Uh, you know, I, 
it's, it's, I don't know what else would help you understand it. And there's some good news recently that uh, the Justice Department is investigating the unmaskings. Well, we're supposed to think it's good news, right? Because Attorney General Barr has appointed a U.S. attorney to look into the unmaskings. Well, is it, did they just figure out there were unmaskings yesterday? It's been going on for years. They were first uncovered, I think, in the beginning of 2018 by Devin Nunes. And the only reason I believe the Justice Department is doing anything because they were cornered into doing it by Rich Grinnell, who is now gone because John Ratcliffe has been appointed as the full-time OGNI after Senate confirmation. Grinnell was only acting. Grinnell unmasked all those people who were unmasking Flynn. They classified their names. The names were being improperly withheld. And you could immediately see the unmaskings were improper by their volume and timing and targeting. Why was an incoming administration being unmasked by an outgoing administration other than to hamper them for unlawful purposes? So we'll see what happens there. But it shows you that transparency is necessary to push these issues forward. If you want the Justice Department to prosecute anyone, it's not a guarantee they will. You need transparency. Because if we don't know the details of the crimes, it's hard to make the case for public, public pressure for law and order. And when the details are revealed, the Justice Department has less, less, uh, less ability to avoid doing the right thing. I mean, they, believe me, they still w- will avoid trying to do the right thing, but it will be harder for them. So, um, so with that all being said, we got a busy week. We've got lawsuits in California to try to protect your elections. We've got a big case against Hillary Clinton. We have a big victory in Maryland for the rule of law on illegal immigration and coronavirus. I tell you, there's nothing like Judicial Watch. There's nothing like Judicial Watch in the United States and frankly in the world. If you're not supporting our work, you should be supporting our work. You can go to our internet site at judicialwatch.org right now and make a contribution. And as importantly, you can find out about all the information that we've uncovered here and spread the world, spread the word to the world, educate your fellow Americans about what their government is up to. Thank you and have a great day. And I'll see you next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.